0: How encouraging it is to listen to these stories week after week about how God is working in the lives of uh, so many people even here uh, amidst our congregation. You know... It's encouraging to hear those kinds of stories because we live in a, a in a day where we are surrounded by people who are looking for and desperately in need of encouragement, of of perspective, of uh, something to give them a sense and a place of hope. You know, there are sometimes, even though we're surrounded by people who, in a sense, are are, are groping for those things, looking for that sense of perspective, there are times where it it seems that that comes to the surface even more so. And we can wonder to ourselves, what do we have to say? Uh, What word of encouragement do we have uh, that we can share with or really help somebody else with? You know, I think of times in my own life where I've had a friend or a coworker, or a family member who has been in hospital. Or at other times where I've had somebody I know who I'm close to and they have experienced uh, the heart-wrenching pain of the loss of a loved one. And, and I think of those times that I'm sat at my desk, and I have a get well card or a condolence card there in front of me, and I kind of wonder to myself, what, what should I say? And as I go to write, my pen hovers over that card, and I feel stuck. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, and you're wondering what encouragement, what word, what perspective can I give in this moment? And to make it even more difficult, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation, perhaps it's in a card like that, perhaps it's in a conversation, perhaps it's in an environment where somebody asks us for some perspective and and we feel the pressure of having to adapt it to what we think they will find acceptable. You know, because if somebody's a believer, then you might think, well, I can maybe say something about God and I can say something about praying for you and I can say... But then there are other times when maybe that person's not a believer. And you think, well, well, maybe I need to tone it down a little bit. What encouragement do we have? What encouragement is there for us to give when we find ourselves in a circle of friends and everybody is, is giving their opinion, everyone's giving their perspective, because after all, everybody's an expert on everything. Or so they like to think. And then it comes our turn to speak. It comes our turn to give some input. What do we have to say? Do we give the same sort of stuff as everybody else? Or are we to give something that is distinct? Something that is different? As Christians, what word of encouragement do we have to give to others that others don't have? and yet that they desperately need to hear. We've been studying together in recent weeks in this series that we're calling Witness, as we move together through the New Testament book of Acts. And as we have uh, talked about this idea of being a witness, it is speaking about the fact that for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are called to bear witness to the person who is Jesus Christ. As we've traveled through this book, it's helpful if this morning, before we jump into our passage, into our text in Acts chapter 13 together, if we kind of get our bearings as to where we are in the book, especially as we're moving through it rather rapidly. So it's helpful if we understand that back in Acts chapter 7, there is a situation where there's a man by the name of Stephen, a faithful, godly man, and, and because of his testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, he is put to death, he is stoned by the leaders of the Jewish people. And and we're told right at the end of Acts chapter 7 that there's a man by the name of Saul who stands there watching and giving approval to Stephen's death. Then comes Acts chapter 8, and uh, we heard uh, Pastor Matt speak on this just a couple of weeks ago, and there in Acts chapter 8, we see how the gospel has now moved from being in Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria, and this whole group of people who were despised by the Jews because they were considered to be like half-bloods. Well, now the gospel has gone to them. In Acts chapter 9, we get to uh, this wonderful scene because we see again this man, Saul, who in Acts chapter 7 had been given approval to, to Stephen's death. Well, now he is persecuting the church at large. He is going from place to place, imprisoning and beating and putting to death believers. And he makes his way towards Damascus to do precisely that same thing. When on the road to Damascus, he encounters the resurrected Jesus Christ and his life is utterly transformed. And then in Acts chapter uh, 10 and chapter 11, again, we see the spread of the gospel. And Pastor Matt talked about this last week. Uh, As the gospel now goes not just from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but now it begins to impact the Gentiles and, and this Roman centurion, Cornelius. And we see that God is doing something amazing in calling the nations to himself. And then in Acts chapter 12, uh, the gospel is continuing to go forward. And and there's this amazing church that's been planted, not by an apostle. In fact, by a bunch of people that we will never probably know their names. It's in a place called Antioch. And so the, the, the leaders of the church here in Jerusalem, they send Barnabas off to go and find out what's going on up there in Antioch. We're hearing amazing things. Barnabas arrives and he is so encouraged at the work that God is doing in that place, and yet he sees the tremendous uh, amount of work still to be done, that he goes in search of Saul, that former persecutor, that former murderer. Saul has been off kind of in the Arabian wilderness for about seven years at this point. But Barnabas goes and finds him, brings him back to to Antioch and begins to mentor him in ministry. And then we get to Acts chapter 13. And this chapter begins with the leaders of the church there in Antioch praying and fasting together. And as they pray and as they fast, the Holy Spirit prompts them to set apart Saul and Barnabas, and to send them out as missionaries. And they get sent out as the first missionaries from this church. They go over to Cyprus, first of all, do amazing ministry there. As, as they do this ministry, we, we see Paul's, uh, Saul's name change from Saul to Paul. And they are launched on this missionary endeavor. And if you've got a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, and I certainly hope you do, whether you're at home or here in the sanctuary, I want to invite you to join me now in Acts chapter 13 because what we see here is Paul and Barnabas continuing on this missionary endeavor and finding themselves in a situation not so very much different than the one I spoke about a few moments ago. When they're in a situation where they're surrounded by people who desperately need a word of encouragement and when they're invited to give that word of encouragement they receive a message that is so completely different than what they were expecting and yet that they desperately needed to hear turn with me there now acts 13 beginning in verse 13 There we read. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them, and he returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga, and they came to Antioch in Pisidia. So, this is a different Antioch than the one where their home church was. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue, and they sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of of exhortation for the people, say it. And and so this setting is on the Sabbath day. They're here in the city. They've apparently just arrived. They go into the synagogue, as was their habit of doing. Uh, And and as they're there, a part of the synagogue service was that portions of the law, uh, that is the first five books of our Old Testament, uh, and and the prophets uh, uh, from the Old Testament would have been written as a part of that. Now, this may seem a little strange to us, but within the culture there, it was not unusual for the men of the synagogue to really take turns from week to week giving a word of encouragement or giving uh, something of a commentary on the passage that was read on that given week. And then when you had a distinguished guest who would come, it would not be unusual to uh, ask them to give a word. Sometimes as I travel to different places around the world and our our ministry of training pastors, uh, I will be a guest in a church. And I've learned that I always have to be ready to give a message because sometimes when I walk in the door, all of a sudden they'll tap me on the shoulder and say, you're preaching today. Well, well well for Paul here it, it wouldn't have been unusual because you see he had been trained actually as a Pharisee under Gamaliel who was one of the leading scholars within Judaism at the time and so they probably thought to themselves great we're going to get a, a good encouraging exposition here today and we're told in verse 16 so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand he said men of Israel and you who fear God listen the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave their land as an inherit them, the land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And and, and so when he's invited to give this word of encouragement, Paul stands up. And and what he really has to say to the people who were gathered there was, Be encouraged because God faithfully and actively provides for and directs his people. And, And so what he does is he points them back to how God had worked in the history of the people of Israel. And you know what? I would imagine that that Sabbath day as Paul was speaking, as he started out, there were lots of people nodding in agreement. There were probably a few of them maybe sat towards the front who were saying, amen, because he was preaching to the choir. Oh, yeah, tell us more about how great we are as the people of Israel and how God chose us and how he set us. Yeah, we like that. Tell us all about it, Paul. And he reminds them as he relays the history. We don't know what passage of scripture they just finished reading. Uh, This was probably related to that. But he reminds them of how God faithfully and actively directs and provides for his people. And I mean, what a word of encouragement, right? We have a God who has shown himself faithful in the past. Thanks be to God that he's showing himself faithful in our lives. In fact, I love what he does here, um, and I noticed as I was studying this that he really is pointing them back again and again and again to God's intentional and engaged activity in the lives of his people. Sometimes people will say, oh yeah, well God kind of, he sort of winds the the watch up and then he just leaves it to go. No, God is actively and intimately involved with his people. Notice, uh, and you'll see this on the screen, he, he says that, uh, God chose our fathers, says that God led them out of Egypt, says that God put up with them. I love that. God put up with them in the wilderness for 40 years. You ever feel like God's kind of putting up with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm slow to learn. I'm so thankful he's patient and that he put up, puts up with me. He put up with them in the wilderness. It says uh, he... he gave them the land as the inheritance, that that God gave them Samuel and the prophets, that God gave them the king Saul, that God gave them David. Paul wants them to know that God was actively involved in their lives as a people. But here's the thing, he's not done with the message yet because, in fact, he continues in, uh, in verse 23. And he says, right after he's talked about him raising up David, he says, Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all of the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one comes after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those who fear among you who fear God to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which they read, which they read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him in him, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, his children. By raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised up did not see corruption. It's a lot here in this sermon that he's giving. So so what is it he's saying here? What's he explaining to them? He's saying, Be encouraged, because God's ultimate provision is through the Saviour that he promised. And that Saviour is Jesus. And so Paul encourages these devout Jews who were gathered there in the synagogue that day by showing them that God was not only faithful to them in the past, he was not only at work in the lives of their, their predecessors, their forefathers, but his goodness and his faithfulness is actually being most gloriously displayed in the fulfillment of what he promised. You see, when God speaks, when God promises, he acts, he always comes through. And the greatest, most glorious demonstration of that is the fact that he has given his only son, Jesus, the Savior that had been promised. In fact, he goes on and he explains here when he talks about John the Baptist, he's, he's demonstrating to them that, that Jesus is, first of all, the promised descendant of David. That's why he connects it beforehand to that. That's why he goes through that history of Israel. He wants them to see the one who had been promised has now come. And, and more than that is not just that, that he comes through the line of David as had been promised, but he points them to the fact that as John the Baptist testified, and as all of the Old Testament prophets before him testified, a Savior would be given. And yes, this Savior now has come, and he is. Is Jesus. So Paul wants to point these devout Jews back to the fact that God did, in fact, everything that he had promised. But then he says something really interesting. He says, but the leaders of the people, they're in Jerusalem. Though they saw Jesus and though they heard Jesus, they did not recognize him. And this is something which is tremendously condemning. And, and every single that testified to Jesus, every. Day. every sunday or those that Paul is saying about here, who know a whole lot of stuff about the Scriptures, but amidst the fact that they speak of the need that every single one of us has, not just to fill our mind with knowledge, but to experience the transforming, life-giving power of Jesus Christ ourselves. So before we go even any further, let me just ask you. Have you recognized that Jesus is the one and only Savior given by God the Father? The one and only means of forgiveness. And more than that, have you recognized that that provision that God has made is for you. Because it doesn't matter how long you've been in church and it doesn't matter how many sermons or how many Bible studies or how many religious activities you're engaged in. If you miss that, you missed it all. And so he explains to them that these people, they put Jesus to death even though they found no guilt in him. But that in itself was to fulfill what had been foretold in the scriptures. And more than that, he goes on to say, while they did that, while they responded in that way, God demonstrated the reality that Jesus was indeed the promised and provided Savior by powerfully raising him from the dead. And then Paul again points them back to the Old Testament scriptures. He points them to the second Psalm, to Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. He points them to Isaiah 55, uh, verse 3, to Psalm 16, verse 10. And and that's what these quotations are from here. And he makes the point that everything that has happened was in fulfillment of what God had said generations before would take place. This whole thing about not letting the Holy One see corruption and the fact that David has seen corruption but Jesus hasn't, speaking to the fact that David died. So the, the fact that this was written by David and about David saying, you will not let your Holy One see corruption, that couldn't mean that it was referring to David. It had to be referring to another who was yet to come. Because David died and David was buried. But Jesus, well, he laid down his life and he was buried. But on the third day, he rose again to life. but Paul's not done. He continues and he shows them that they should be encouraged because God's promised provision through Jesus alone grants the forgiveness of sins and a true freedom and new life in him. Look with me again at the text. Verse 38 of Acts chapter 13. He kind of brings home the message at this point. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and that by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is the 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 crux of the encouragement that that Paul gives to the people there. Not simply that a savior has come but that through faith in him you can be saved. It's the gospel message in a nutshell. And I got to tell you, I love this. This is one of my favorite statements of the gospel in all of the New Testament. Because it says, through him, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So, So forgiveness from our sins is available through Christ. Why? Because when he died on the cross, he took our place, he paid our debt, he bore our sin. It has been dealt with, it has been settled. And that through faith in him, it says, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Isn't that great? Everyone from everything. What's the key here? Everyone who believes on him is saved from everything that you could not be freed from. this is talking about the justification that we have because of what Christ has done. That we are declared not guilty, we are declared righteous in the presence of God because of what Christ has done. But I want you to think about this for a moment because Paul was talking to these devout Jews there in the synagogue. And he's making the point that it doesn't matter how devout you are, doesn't matter how religious you are, what Christ has done will set you free from everything that the law could not Most of us understand that it is not about law-keeping. It's not about keeping a set of rules that makes us right in the presence of God. And yet, if we're honest, there are some of us who still, like those devout Jews, are looking to keeping the sacraments, performing certain religious rituals, living a, quote-unquote, good life to try to free us from everything that holds us captive. But this is not really just talking about what holds us captive under the law. The fact that we could not be freed from a legalism, from a works-based righteousness apart from through Christ. This is talking about every freedom. And again, all you've got to do is open your eyes and look down your street Or sometimes look around your own home or sometimes even look in your own mirror to know that there are all sorts of things today in the lives of people, including our own, that hold us captive. And we live in a culture that presents all sorts of things as the best way to get free from that stuff. And some people are so tired of trying to be free from that stuff that they have become enslaved and in bondage to other stuff. So they drink. so they find somebody's leftover prescription medication. So they turn to all sorts of other things. And here's the wonderful message of the gospel. This is the word of encouragement that Paul gives. Everyone who believes on Christ, can be freed from everything that holds them in bondage. If you are in bondage to something, if you are in chains to something, if there is something in your life and you are so desperate to be free of it and yet you feel so exhausted and hopeless and like you have nowhere to turn and no idea how to get a hold of it, then know that Christ stands ready and able to set you free. And the word of encouragement that Paul is preaching. Is a, is a word of encouragement. Of freedom through Christ. And I guarantee. That there are people in your life as there are in mine. Who desperately need to know that there is a freedom. That this world cannot provide. There's all sorts of programs. There's all sorts of things that you can buy into. There's all sorts of groups that you can join who will say, oh, yeah, well, if you do this and if you work this program, then you'll experience freedom. But not like Jesus gives. And so the word of encouragement that he gives is one of freedom. But then this passage here in Acts chapter 13 ends by reminding us that God's Provision of his promised Savior demands a response. Demands a response. See, he goes on in verse 14, he says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Then he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. In other words, he's saying, "Listen, the message that I'm proclaiming to you, the, the encouragement that I'm giving you, is so amazing. Be careful that you don't fail to believe it. Be careful that you don't think to yourself, "That's too good to be true." There's a response. In fact, in verse 42, he go, it goes on and it says, "As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They were hungry. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was being spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and they went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul warns them, first of all, against unbelief. He says, we're proclaiming to you this word of encouragement, this message, and it demands a response. You cannot put Jesus on a shelf and say, we may think about getting back to him later on. Demands a response. If indeed this is the promised provision of a savior from God, then we must pay attention. And and because of this, the whole city is divided. Some of them say, tell us more. Others are upset because they're more focused on the fact that more people are listening to Paul and Barnabas than ever listened to them. And we see this strife. I think it's interesting. It says that they stirred up the women of high standing in the city who then apparently got their husbands to start the persecution. And this kind of riot takes place and finally Paul and Barnabas are ejected from the city, but not before. Not before. They shake off the dust from their shoes. They say to the Jews there, since you consider yourself unworthy of eternal life, we go to the Gentiles. And as Luke uh, writes this book of Acts under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, this is a key moment. Because even though we've seen glimpses of this so far, even last week as Pastor Matt talked about with, with Cornelius the Centurion, we see that the gospel includes also the Gentiles. We see now, Paul's ministry as being one that focuses from this point forward predominantly on the ends of the earth, on the Gentiles, of those who previously were considered to be outside of the covenant. and So it's a shifting point in the book. The whole city is divided. Some believe, some reject, but God's purposes prevail. Notice verse 48 says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You know what? When we give the word of encouragement that is the gospel about Jesus Christ, there will always be people who reject. And there will be some who believe. And thanks be to God, I'm not responsible for figuring out who they are. But God's purpose will prevail. Never be discouraged in your witness because God will use his word to accomplish his purpose in the lives of those that he is drawing to himself. So, how do we respond? You know... I started off by talking about the situation where we find ourselves, and there's a word of encouragement we're invited to give. There are people around us who need to hear perspective. We may never find ourselves in a situation quite like Paul, where we show up and we're asked in a synagogue to give a word of encouragement, to give a sermon. But what do we do in light of what we've seen here in this passage? I think it calls us to respond in a couple of different ways the first is that there's the response of faith this is clearly a message about the provision of the promised savior Jesus Christ and the declaration here is so that you will believe and experience that new life. And so I've already referred to this, but it may be that you've been around church for a really long time, that you've heard a lot of messages, but you've never taken that step of acknowledging that you yourself need a Savior. It may be that you are logging on, you've come across us for the very first time this morning. And maybe this is a message that you kind of heard something about, but today, in a way that you never have before, God has worked to bring understanding of what this gospel message is, that there is life and salvation and forgiveness available for you in Jesus Christ. We cannot leave a passage like this without asking the question, what is my response to Jesus himself? And if you have never Acknowledge your need of a Savior. If you've never experienced the freedom that he alone gives from sin and from everything that that holds us captive, then if you're watching online, you can hit that prayer button and you can have somebody pray with you and share with you more about what it means to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning in this room, you can indicate that right there on your communication card. We would love to talk with you more about taking this next step becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. But, but for those of us who know him, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we respond when we see this because this, as through the whole book of Acts, we see this call to a responsive obedience. We are to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses. God has placed you in the context of people's lives. He's placed you in a community. He's placed you in a family. He's placed you in a workplace. And you are surrounded by people who may not come out and say, what word of encouragement do you have for us today? But who nevertheless are desperately looking for hope and perspective. And right now we live in days where the temptation is to talk about the same things that everybody else is talking about to talk about the same things that everybody else is wrestling with and to give all sorts of opinions that come from our own understanding. But when Paul is given the opportunity to share a word of encouragement, he shares with them the only thing that can really encourage the deepest depths of need in their souls. And that's a message of encouragement about the one who has transformed his life. Back in Acts chapter 1, we saw the instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness? We talked about that right at the beginning of this series. It means... To share with others what we ourselves have seen. What we ourselves have experienced. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't keep to yourself what Jesus has done in your life. But I love the fact that that we're not sent out as witnesses in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, here in Acts chapter 13 verse 52, the whole chapter ends by saying, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I actually prefer the way that the New American Standard uh, translates this because it better uh, reflects the original language. It says, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Uh, You see... Luke is not including this just as a, well, so they went through all of this, they got throw, thrown out of the city, and, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden they experienced this joy and this power of the Holy Spirit. No. At different key junctures through the book of Acts, we see this idea that the, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's not a momentary thing. It is something that he is communicating was the driving force Of the Christian life. That just as Jesus in Acts chapter 1 said. You will receive power. So through the whole book of Acts. We see. That the followers of Jesus Christ. Live in that power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion. Over the ministry of the Holy Spirit. in the lives of believers. But through the book of Acts. Our witness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so as we close, I want to close just very briefly by letting you know that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not about some strange, mystical experience that results in some supernatural, miraculous, and to some of us, quite frankly, strange and scary manifestations. It's not what it's about. In fact, in Ephesians and chapter 5, we learn what it's about. There, Paul writes, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What do we see there? The being filled with the Holy Spirit is, in some way, similar to being drunk with wine. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Why? Because then it takes control of you. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be, in a sense, under the influence of the prompting of God. Uh, Being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't so much about getting more of him, it's about yielding ourselves to him. And, And what is the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Worship. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Giving thanks to the Father. Submitting to one another. It is a life of praise to God. The Christian life through all the pages of scripture is not about a few people occasionally under extreme, unusual circumstances getting some special dose of the Holy Spirit that nobody else gets. No, the normal Christian experience is to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. The normal daily Christian experience. You know what? The old Southern Baptist preacher, Adrian Rogers, not to be confused with the quarterback up in Green Bay, Aaron Rogers, But he he used to talk about the idea that most Christians are like somebody who's just got a brand new car. And they're really proud of that brand new car. And they love to go out and clean it and show it off to everybody. The only problem is they are completely unaware that it has an engine. And so every time they need to go somewhere, they get behind the car and they start pushing the car. And they're happy at first because they want to show this car off. But then they get to some hills and they start to think, is this even worth it? I kind of wish I didn't have a car. Because they're, they're pushing so hard to get up the hill. And occasionally they get, they get to the top of the hill, they're able to go down, so they're able to jump in the car and enjoy going down because of the momentum. But then they have to get out and push it again. But then when somebody comes along and says, no, you don't understand. This car's equipped with an engine. And all you got to do is get inside and let the engine empower the car that's what the christian life is about some of us are exhausted and we're weary and we read through the book of acts and we read through other passages of scripture and we think i could never do that i'm not the apostle paul i could never do that how can they do and we don't realize that the same holy spirit that jesus promised to his disciples in acts chapter 1 that filled the disciples in acts chapter 13 and all through the book is available and active and at work in you if you're a follower of jesus christ You were baptized in the spirit the very moment that you came to faith in Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You can experience the daily filling of the Holy Spirit. As we look in the pages of scripture, how do we do that? I think that what we discover in the testimony of scripture is that we experience the filling of the spirit simply by earnestly longing and asking God for his spirit to lead us. It is a yielding of ourselves saying, God, as I step out into this day, each day as we get up, God, would you lead me today? I want to keep in step with your spirit. Talks about that in Galatians chapter five. But that means that we need to confess our sin and self because a clean vessel is ready and available to use. Again, in Galatians chapter five, we see the distinction between those who are walking by the flesh and the deeds of the flesh and those who are walking by the spirit. We need to step out in obedience, actively following God's word and the prompting of his spirit, which are always consistent with one another. The spirit of God never, ever instructs us to do something inconsistent with his word. They're always consistent. One of the reasons I think that many in the church of Jesus Christ, in our day, in our land, don't truly know what it is to walk by the spirit each day is because we have an obedience issue. Because we have this idea that if I sit on my couch, then I'll wait for the Lord to fill me with his spirit and then I'll go out. No, when we go out in obedience to the Lord, we will know the presence and the power of God who delights to show himself strong in weak people who are willing to obey. And so, what word of encouragement do you have? As I started our time this morning, I asked what word of encouragement we have that others don't have. What word of encouragement is peculiar to Christians that desperately needs to be heard? Whether those people are in a, a season of mourning, a season of trial, or just simply when we're given the opportunity to speak up and give our perspective. Well, the witness that we're called to give, the encouragement that we're called to give is a distinctly Christian one. And I want to suggest that we and the people around us need it more now, perhaps, than at any other time. The word of encouragement that we have to give doesn't have to be a polished sermon. It simply is a word of encouragement that is all about the person and the promise and the provision that is available in Jesus Christ. My prayer for us is that we would be those who first know what it is to experience the freedom and the forgiveness that is found in Christ Jesus, that secondly are willing to obey who recognize our high and holy calling to bear witness to others about what Christ has done in our life and that we get to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit so that our watching world would see a joy and a boldness and that seeing that joy and boldness that they would fix their eyes on Jesus and turn to him. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord our God We praise you that you are a God who is active and engaged. That you are working all things according to the counsel of your will. That just as you directed Israel in times of old, so you have brought all of history together at the coming of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that now through him, Salvation and forgiveness and new life is available. Lord, for any listening to me this morning who don't know the freedom that is available in Christ today by your Holy Spirit, would you draw them that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who are yours, who name the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, would you give us a courageous, courageous, boldness to speak up and to share with others what you have done in our life to live our calling as witnesses. But we thank you that you do not call us to do it in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own power, but rather in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, even as we sang a little earlier in the service, come, Holy Spirit. So we ask, would you by your Spirit who dwells in us who believe, who is the promise, the deposit, the guarantee of our inheritance. Would you fill us afresh this day that we might walk by your Spirit, that we might know your presence, your prompting, your power, and a joy in faithfully obeying you. And, Lord, would you use us as your ambassadors, as your messengers of encouragement to a watching world, that the name of Jesus might be lifted high and the people who you set around us even this week would come to know this forgiveness of sins and this freedom that is available to everyone who believes from everything which was formerly powerless to help them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, we thank you for being with us here at Springbrook this morning, whether in person or on- online. Uh, we certainly invite you to join us again on Tuesday evening for the prayer time. But um, as we close out our time together, I want to leave you with this benediction. It comes from the book of Romans in chapter 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Go in the joy and the power of the Lord, spreading a message of hope. God bless you and have a wonderful week.